Nehemiah builds a big, beautiful wall, and the Persians pay for it. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome. We hope you are encouraged by these uh, videos. Um, we're just trying to learn the Bible together and teach yeah. our church to read God's Word. So we're going through the Bible in a year, and I uh, just want to remind you guys to uh, like, subscribe, and comment. Um, yeah, get the word yeah, out there. That's right. If you like the, if you like the video, then like it on on you know YouTube or whatever. If you don't, if you like, don't it, like it, then you should comment your heresy. Yeah, in below, and we can or feed you. You know, if you find heresies in what we say, you're more than welcome to comment. Oh as well. yeah, you can totally. Yeah, ask questions, interact. It's always fun. Sometimes, sometimes like on different social media things, I just look at the comments. Mm-hmm. I just want to see the interesting. You oh, know. for sure. The the colorful sometimes oh, commentary. Yes. Quite yes. often. Yes. Quite often. We've given people a platform to speak, and they use it for their own evil depraved, mostly. Yeah, <laughs> depraved uh, purposes. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> but sometimes it's very entertaining. Oh um, well, it's usually entertaining. But yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. Well, uh, what book are we in today, Brandon? We're in the book of Nehemiah. 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 What's one of the one. shortest guys in the Bible, as they say? That's right. Yeah. Nehemiah. Nehemiah. I'm learning Good all old the cheesy. old cheesy Christian jokes because yeah. I didn't grow up in the church. And yeah, that's so, fun. so cheesy. Yeah. yeah. We'll encounter one of the other shortest ones in the book of Job. Yes. So can't wait. Our friend Jack, he already spoiled it for us, but. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there, though. Very we'll, cheesy we'll, we'll get there. Yeah, our, uh, would you say he's our uh, assistant producer, Jack? That's right, yeah. Yeah, he's doing a great job. Assistant to the producer, I think. Oh, so. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah. Uh, I know what uh, you're doing uh, there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, we're going through Nehemiah today. And let's review a little bit what we've done, because Ezra and Nehemiah are actually one book in the original. So um, where are we on the story? So the first, so Ezra is split into two sections, right? We see the beginning of Ezra, rebuilding of the temple, so we saw Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, yeah, you can say that. Um, he came and led the exiles out of out of Persia to Babylon mm-hmm. and to rebuilding the temple. And Ezra comes along in the second half to renew God's people. Mm-hmm. So that's how the book is split up. And Ezra tries his best. He teaches God's word. We see people getting excited about God's word, mm-hmm. wanting, expressing their desire to be faithful to God's word, which we've seen so many times. Right. And then at the end of the book, we see there's a problem because they've intermarried. Even the priests, even the Levites, yeah. have intermarried with the people of the land, yeah. and they've they're pulling them away from God. It's a big letdown. It's like Zerubbabel. You see the temple built, and then people it's like, oh, it's not the glory of the last temple. So it's like, dang it. Yeah. And then you see Ezra teaching the word of God, and then you know intermarriage. Dang it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So so we see that there's. He, he pursues purity, and the people do, some of them do obey God, and they turn from these these marriages, mm-hmm. but it, it ends on a not a very happy note. So now we have Nehemiah, and we saw that these books are, they're one unified story, uh, they're one unified text in the Hebrew Bible, but they were separated in our Bibles mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Um, when we get to the book of, we get to the Minor Prophets, that's really annoying <laughs> because you have 12 books that were one <laughs> in, in the... Yeah, anyway, so that's just how, how we do it, I guess. So, yeah. And Nehemiah follows a similar pattern, right? The first part of Nehemiah is the rebuilding of God's city. So chapters 1 to 7, yeah. rebuilding the walls, the city of God. And then in Nehemiah 8 to 13, the second half, it's the renewal of God's covenant. Mm. So there's a covenant renewal ceremony, which we've seen a lot in the Scripture. And Nehemiah will similarly end on kind of a somewhat sour note. 
Dang it. Sad. Yeah, I know it's sad. Very sad. But that's, we, our story doesn't end on a sour note. We have Jesus Christ. Amen to that. Amen to that. I don't see that. You know, it's, I'm so glad the Bible does end on a, on a happy note because, man, there are so many books in the Bible that end on sad notes. It's true. Just like, dang it. Very true. Yeah. Building toward that. But there's that. always hope. There's always one thread of hope. Yeah. That's left, which is pretty exactly. cool. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, you want to get in the text? Let's do it. Nehemiah, chapter Nehemiah. one. It's going to be a great book, all about building walls. I know you guys like building walls out there. Yeah. So. Yeah. People love the wall building. That's been a big thing in the last four years. Yeah. People have loved I mean, it still is. It still is a big thing, right? Yeah. That's true. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure funding has just gone to more wall building. That's right. So everyone loves walls. Yeah. That's right. Our, our uh, Nehemiah president might have gone away, but his work continues. <laughs> No, but for real though, I did. I, I told you this already, but I found a bunch of websites that were like trying to make the case for why Nehemiah is about Donald Trump. It's pretty legendary. Like 15 ways in which like Nehemiah is just like Donald Trump. So you, sh- you should share this with me. There are some. There are some similarities. I'll be. I mean, the wall building is a big one. He doesn't receive pay for you know his government work. That's that's you know that's interesting. Swords at their side. You know. Could be prophetic, yeah. but you know some other, yeah, some like the whole like you know reading God's law and obeying it thing. Maybe is a little bit different, but slightly it's a minor detail. Slightly yeah. minor detail. You know. Anyway, yeah. Chapter so, one. Chapter one. <laughs> so uh, just had to say that it's just too, it's too funny. So who's who's Nehemiah? Nehemiah. So Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. So, so what does a cupbearer actually do? Cupbearer bears cups. So he brings the cup. He brings the food. He um, he's sits at the right hand of the king, right? He sits in a, in a position of prominence. Yep. He's and he tastes the food for the king. That's the idea. So, if you're the cupbearer, you are the food taster. You're the guinea pig. So the food comes along, you taste it. If you die, the king doesn't eat it. Right. If you don't die, the king eats it. Makes sense. So you want your king to have a high approval rating, right? Like definitely above fifty percent. Your king. You'll, whoever you're the cupbearer for. Oh, yes, you know exactly. Yeah. So you yeah. got to, so the cupbearer would naturally be the person that the king trusts the most. Yep. I would say the person he trusts the most who he doesn't mind if they die. <laughs> so I don't know, I don't know <laughs> how that factors in. But um, so the cupbearer is this important position. He has influence with the king because he's right there with him. And um, we, we hear that in, in the beginning of the book, Nehemiah learns what the problem is. That there's a problem, right? Verse three, he says, the uh, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. So he understands the exiles who we saw in Ezra have a problem, which is they have no defenses. No wall. Yeah. And we know from the Bible, right, that if you break down the wall, you can just walk into the city and do whatever you want. It's kind of good. Kind of makes sense, right? It's not good, yeah. So Nehemiah is... He's he just is burdened by this. Mm-hmm. Hearing this news, he this consumes him, and so he takes it to God in prayer. And his prayer in the beginning of the book is I, just beautiful. We saw some beautiful prayers in in Ezra. Mm-hmm. This is an incredible prayer, right? He he starts off. He's he's fasting. He's weeping. He's mourning. And this is his prayer, verse five of chapter one. Mm-hmm. O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. Yeah. So he acknowledges who God is. Right. In our prayer, we always have to acknowledge who God is. Who is it that we're speaking to? Mm-hmm. We don't just approach him in a casual way. We approach him with the, the seriousness of who he is and what he can do. And then he confesses. 
I, yeah, I, it is such a beautiful prayer. And, I, you know, Moeller had a, a great briefing that was talking about that word awesome and how we flippantly use it today. I mean, yeah. He was talking about Lego using it, everything is awesome or whatever. But, like, the only thing that's actually awesome is God, right? Yeah. And I'm, it's just cool to see that in Scripture where we see, you know, Nehemiah cry out to God and just declaring who he is. So, yeah, totally agree. God is awesome. Yeah, he inspires <laughs> awe. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so he confesses before God. He understands. Ezra and Nehemiah both understand why Israel is in the place they're in. Mm-hmm. Um, Daniel, same thing. Yeah, it's because of their sin. So he he prays, he confesses. Mm-hmm. He doesn't just confess. You know, we do this a lot in our world today. Like, I I'm so sorry for how bad America has been in the past. When like I know I know very well I didn't do anything any of those things right. Like I didn't uh, own slaves that you know of. No, wow. um, you know, like we just wow. pray these things of like, oh man, like those people are so bad and it costs us nothing. Right. But Nehemiah is also, he's confessing what he and his father's house have done mm-hmm. at the end of verse six. Right. It's not abstract. I mean, he's, he's part of the nation of Israel. He's, you know, direct descendant of those who have sinned. So it makes sense for him to confess their sins in a sense. But I mean, this is only 50, isn't this only 50 years after exile? Yeah, so yeah. Th- no, this is uh, this is after they already started to return. So it's right. you know it's over seventy years they have to return. I mean, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah. so it's just a few you know a few decades after that. Uh, I don't know the exact time off the top of my head, but yeah. So he's saying, look, I have done the sins that that they were guilty of. I've also sinned against you, mm-hmm. and so he's he's confessing his own sins, and then he calls upon God, verse eight, to remember mm-hmm. the word you commanded to your servant Moses. This word, remember goes back to the book of Genesis, Genesis yeah. 8, 1, where God remembers Noah right. in the midst of the, the flood, and he redeems him, and he's saying, act upon what you have done for your servants, or mm-hmm. what you promised to your servants. Act according to your word. And he calls upon, he invokes God's own promise, specifically mm-hmm. in verse 9. He says, this is what you had said, right? If you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost part of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to this place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. So he's quoting, I mean, he's, he's referencing the book of Deuteronomy, which, which talks about this, and also the prayer of Solomon, the dedication of the temple, right? And I mean, there's many prophets as well, but he's invoking these ideas from Israel's past to mm-hmm. say, God, you said this, act upon your word. right? And hear those who are praying towards your temple. Hmm. So he understands theology, and then he asks God in, in the end of the the end of the prayer, he asked God for success. Verse 11, mm-hmm. give me success in the eyes of the king. Grant me that I can succeed in what I want to do. Right. So Nehemiah has this burden. He has a vision for what he wants to accomplish, but he gives it to God. And he acknowledges that God has to act upon his promise, his covenant, in order for Nehemiah to succeed. Yeah, well, which is great because it's not just Nehemiah wanting to go do something. He's in, you know, uh, in pleading and in and, and he's clinging to God through this whole thing. Yeah. So I mean, that's that's great. That's what we want to see out of the the priests and the kings of Israel. We want to see them cling to God. That's right. When they, when they don't, it's just it's just horrible. That's absolutely right. Yeah, and and really, I mean, we can see this in terms of the the big picture of the story uh, of the Bible and how this fits. But also, I think we can directly apply this to our own lives. Yeah. We should pray like this every day. Yeah, this is who you are, God. This is I, I acknowledge your Creator, your Lord, your Redeemer. But I also want to confess that I have sinned, mm-hmm. and I want I want you to call you to your own promises. I want to call you to the blood of Jesus Christ that you've paid for my debt, and therefore forgive me. Right. Um, I mean, we we pray like this and give me success in the undertaking that you've put on my heart. Right. 
I've, you know, this, this year, particularly, you know, reading through the Old Testament, I've learned so much about prayer just by reading the prayers, you know, found in the prophets and, you know, this part of the Bible. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. You can learn a ton about prayer just by looking at these guys. That's right. That's right. So, so Nehemiah comes before the king and he's clearly sad. He's been fasting. He's been weeping. And so the king asks him, what's the matter? Mm -hmm. And he, he tells him. So, and God gives favor to Nehemiah in the sight of the king. So he, he gives him, and this is King Artaxerxes, who we've seen previously, right? So he, he gives him um, a commission from the king mm -hmm. to go and to, to rebuild the walls. Yep, pays for and, it. And we see in, in chapter 2, verse 8, the reason for this was because the good hand of my God was upon me. So just like yeah, Ezra, Nehemiah is constantly, and we're not going to mention all of them, but he's constantly mentioning God's control and sovereignty over the situation. Right. And for yep. me, as I'm reading, I, I love to just underline those things. Yep. He's making very explicit, oh, this is God's control. This is God's control. Um, so we see uh, verse 11. So he, he goes to Jerusalem, right, and he starts to inspect around the around the walls. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't tell people at first why he's there, but he begins, begins to inspect to figure out what's what's the task going to take. Mm -hmm. and, and again, very often in Nehemiah, you'll hear a series of the leadership of Nehemiah. And I think that's that's fair. I mean, Nehemiah, is, is he has a vision from God. He has a burden on his heart. And so he goes and he counts the cost. Right. He looks and says, what is it going to take for this to happen? And then he goes to the leaders and he calls upon them to join him in the work. Verse 18, he tells them that the hand of God had been upon me for good. And then they said in response, let us rise and build. Yeah, it's, it's a, you know, yeah, it's it's great showing God's providence within the work of Nehemiah and his, his leadership. But, I mean, God also didn't tell him directly to do, I mean, at least it's not recorded for us, to go do this exact same thing or this exact thing, right? So he's going, you know, with this passion, with this with this desire to fulfill God's will. And, yeah, he's doing a yeah. great job doing it. Yeah. So. And he's so confident that God's going to give them success, right? Verse 20 of chapter 2, mm -hmm. the God of heaven will make us prosper and we as servants will arise and build Mm -hmm. But and he's, he's rejecting those who are his know, it's enemies. Almost, it's almost right? presumptuous, some, yeah. you know, if you're reading it, you know? Yeah. So we're going to succeed. I, there was a similar account we didn't mention Ezra, but Ezra actually doesn't take guards with him mm -hmm. from this part in Ezra. They, he, he said he was basically like he, he didn't want to dishonor God by asking for military to come right. with them because right. he believed God would protect them. Mm -hmm. And so there's just this, this, this incredible faith from Ezra and Nehemiah. That's mm -hmm. pretty amazing. But again, Nehemiah separates himself from those who want to oppose the work. So mm -hmm. chapter 3, we see the wall starting to be rebuilt. But in chapter 4, we see that opposition. Again, this is the exact same pattern as right. Ezra. Yep. It's very, very similar. So we see Tobias and Sanballat, who are these enemies of the Jews in there, or Tobiah, I should say, not Tobias, <laughs> who are mocking them. And they say, oh, you know, verse 3, Oh, if a fox gets on the wall, it'll it'll fall apart. You yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's weak. It's terrible. They're they're mocking them. Yeah, and um and Nehemiah is constantly appealing to God to protect them. Verse mm -hmm. eight, we see them plotting against him. Yeah, so they couldn't discourage them, so they plot against them to cause confusion. But they pray. Verse nine, and God protects them. Mm -hmm. So again and again, there's there's opposition. In verses ten to twelve, we see there's actually discouragement within the people. Mm -hmm. So what happens is um, their strength was was failing. They feel like there's too much for them to do, and there's a threat from outside, 
So the, the neighboring towns come together and they say, we need you to stop. They're, right. they're intimidated. They feel threatened. And so there's, there's from within and without, there's opposition to the work. And yet mm-hmm. Nehemiah is keeping his hand to the plow, right. staying focused on what God's called him to do. And what he actually ends up doing is he groups them together by families. Mm-hmm. So families are together. And then he says, get your weapons and work with your weapons. Right. And, and it, they even are able to work one-handed. Right, it says right, the, and later in the later in the chapter, verse twenty three at the end, he says, each kept his weapon at his right hand. So they're they're doing this sort of one handed. Right? They're, yeah. they're carrying the weapons, um, and they're still working. So he's he's unwilling to be deterred from what God has put on his heart. Oh, yeah, I, I love verse fourteen. Um, it's like a it's like a really cool battle cry. It's like, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, uh, who is great and awesome. Again, you know the same declaration of who God is. And, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. Right? There's right. a ton at stake, so just take courage because right. God is with us. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. That's right. So so we see that this work is continuing, and then in chapter five we see there's actually oppression happening from those who are more wealthy to those who are poor. Mm-hmm. So what they're doing is they're they're lending money, but they're exacting interest. And they're making it impossible for these people to, right. to thrive. I mean, yeah. it's it's just unfair, and and it's illegal according to Mosaic law mm-hmm. to do that to exact interest from your Jewish brother, brethren. Mm-hmm. And so he gets angry with them, right? He he calls them out, and the the leaders of the people say, "We're going to stop doing this." Right. Um, and Nehemiah is actually a leader. He stands out as a leader because he's been leading by example. He's it says he hasn't been he hasn't been receiving the payment for the governor. So the payment he could have been receiving as in the position he is, he hasn't been receiving that, uh, presumably giving it to the people. So pretty pretty amazing. So if we're, if we're learning from leadership, shouldn't you as a pastor not receive any wages? That's a great point, yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I think that's true. I think I should. <laughs> I guess I'm in the same boat. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dang it. I, I would assume that Nehemiah was, was pretty wealthy to be able to afford to still live. Like yeah. he's, he's living off his own money. Um, I'd presume that he wasn't just starving. I just thank the Lord for the New Testament. Yeah. Where they are the wages. Double honor, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if, if I was president, I would definitely receive the salary because I don't have that much money. So Fair. I would kind of need that. Kind of reminds me of famous. You know, I was it's Since we're on the topic of Trump, you know, it's great. Mm-hmm. So That's what I'm saying, yeah. 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 So Very anyway, similar, but, similar, but... More similarities. That's what so, I said earlier. You oh missed it. Watch. You missed it, yeah. So but I'm like, that's kind of where the similarities end. <laughs> yeah, I think we've hit. Them I did all think. And more. I did think a funny one though was like all the the uh, rumors that are spread about him. You know, like fake news, <laughs> fake news. I kept thinking that, like, like writing little notes, like fake news. Um, anyway, you put fake news in your Bible. Yeah. <laughs> no. uh, Bell and uh, Tobiah are CNN. Yeah, oh it's my it's word. you have to really read carefully. But True. It's there. True. It's there. Yep. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I do not believe that, just to be clear. Uh, <laughs> chapter 6, we see, again, more conspiracies, more fake news being spread. Um, so, you know, Again, the enemies are trying to, st- trying to stop them. And um, they actually, Sambalat and Tobiah, they call upon Nehemiah to meet with them. Right. Uh, I love his response in verse 3. This is my response yep. when the staff wants, me to, wants things from me. He says, I'm doing a great work that I cannot, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? This <laughs> yep. is too important. He's like, I'm not going to stop my work. At least three or four times a week. This yeah. Happens. yeah. Like, what, you want something? No, I'm not going to come down from my mountain. <laughs> I'm receiving God's word. 
but no, but he understands this is a distraction to his work, and he stays. Again, he stays faithful. I, I don't think your point is that far off. I mean, elders, <laughs> deacons, you know, come on. <laughs> We're really stretching this, but uh, and and in verse ten, we see another plot where this guy um, Shemaiah says, "Hey, there's a threat against your life. Let's meet in the temple mm-hmm. instead of meeting here." Right and. Nehemiah's, which would like, be no. illegal. Yep. Yeah, it'd be blasphemous act to go into the temple without, you know, not being a, a priest. Mm-hmm. And it would incur God's wrath. It would discredit him in the eyes of the people. Yeah. And Nehemiah's response is great. He said, should such a man, this is verse 11 of chapter 6, should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. Mm-hmm. And he finds out that this guy was paid off by his enemies to tempt him in that way and to convince him to go into the temple. Mm-hmm. So just a great again and again we see distractions and Nehemiah saying no I'm going to focus on what God has called me to right and I'm going to do that and I'm not going to disobey God even if there's a threat that might seem significant to me so that's the first half of Nehemiah the first main section of Nehemiah the rebuilding of the the walls which are completed and the second half of Nehemiah is the renewing of God's covenant and and one author that I, I couldn't find the name of the author, but he he speaks about um, really Ezra and Nehemiah is about building two walls. There's hmm. a sense in which it's about building two walls, right? There's Nehemiah's wall, which is a wall that separates God's people from their enemies. It protects them from those outside. And then there's Ezra's wall. Mm-hmm. Ezra's wall being a spiritual boundary to keep Israel clean or holy Interesting. for God. And so it's, it separates them from what's unholy. Hmm. So, and that's what we see in the second half of the book is kind of that second wall. Right. And of course, Ezra comes on the scene in chapter eight. Right. And he begins to institute this. So you see the same kind of reforms that happened in Ezra, again, happening in Nehemiah, still with the same sort of not super satisfactory impact. Right. Yep. But, but the, I think that's the important thing is that they need those external walls and the internal walls. Mm-hmm. So in chapter 8, we see Ezra come on the scene and people come willingly to hear God's word. Yeah, They want to hear God's word. And when they hear it, they're sorrowful. They're overwhelmed with sorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, verse, verse eight, Chapter 8, verse 8 is a very important verse for those who, like us, practiced expository preaching. This yeah. is what we'd say is expository preaching, meaning you take the word and you just explain what it says. Chapter 8, verse 8, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Mm-hmm. That's what teaching God's word is in a nutshell. Right. Of course, there's more to it than that, but that's the basics of it, right? right. Is to open God's word to explain what it means to people yeah, so they can apply it. So Ezra's doing that, and it's having an impact. The impact is that people realize how sinful they are, mm-hmm. and they're discouraged. So we see in, in verse 9, people are weeping, and Nehemiah and Ezra say, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. And and they and he says goes on to say, uh, do not he says basically have a party, Wor- worship God through celebration, and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hmm. And then again they say, don't be you know be quiet. This day is holy. Do not be grieved. It's it's possible when you come to God when you repent and come to God, to be overwhelmed with grief because of how much you've missed out on, right? Because of all the bad things you've done, all the ways you failed Him. But this moment. Nehemiah and Ezra, as good leaders, wanted to under, make them understand this was a moment of joy. Mm-hmm. God's brought you back. He's restored you. 
you can now be obedient to him. Right. Don't just focus on negatives. And of course, Nehemiah and Ezra both confess their sins. Right. So it's not saying don't confess, but it's this this moment of conversion or of re- restoration or re- reformation is one where we should rejoice. Right. That God's given us a second chance. Right. He's brought us back to him. So, so that's what we see in chapter eight, chapter nine. The people confess their sin, and this is another full, another really powerful text on worship. Hmm. Ezra and Nehemiah are leading the people in worship, and they're praying to God, and they pray in a way that's similar to Ezra and to Nehemiah. Mm-hmm. Right? We see their acknowledgement of who God is; that He's Creator, he verse six. His power, yeah. His He's Sovereign, verse seven. He's the Covenant Maker, verse eight. Yep. He's the Redeemer of Israel. He goes into they go into the the history of Israel, mm-hmm. and they they mention. Here's how you've redeemed in the past. Here's how you've acted. They're calling upon God's faithfulness and his covenant loyalty to his people in the past to say, God, act now. Right. They, they point out again and again, God is patient to his people. So this, pr- this prayer is, is very, very powerful. Um, and it's really showing the same reality we saw in, in Ezra, which is Ezra understands the word of God and he's applying it to a situation. Hmm. They're looking back and seeing how God has acted. And they're saying God can act now if we are faithful. Right. So they end. It ends on kind of a down note, right? Verse thirty-six. Behold, we are slaves this day. All right. So we we're still in this position of slavery, and we need God's redemption. Mm-hmm. Is the idea. So they still need to see God's salvation. So in chapter ten, they make a covenant. As we said last last week, right? That's this hasn't gone well in the past. This theme of making a covenant. Right. You have this great intention. And then you can't follow through on it. But they make some important promises. We see in, in verse 29 of chapter 10, um, join, it says, join with their brothers, their, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord, our, our Lord, and his rules and his statutes. So this is what you have to do, right? Make this covenant, this promise. And it consists of a few things, right? First of all, don't intermarry. Right. Don't let your kids intermarry with the other nations. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, follow the Sabbath and yep. give to the temple and upkeep the temple. Mm-hmm. Right? Take care of the temple. And so that's that all sounds great. But, you know, kind of going to the end of the book, chapter 13, we see that the, the final chapter is really awkward because we see that all those those promises and all the good stuff we see in those, those final chapters, they're dedicating the wall, all these things, the leaders are coming together. The final chapter gives us sort of a clue as to what's ahead. Mm-hmm. So in the final chapter, they basically break all of those promises that they just made. Yep. So Nehemiah's really upset because he's learning again and again that they're doing the things they said they wouldn't do. So first he finds they're not taking care of the temple. And he's, you know, people are taking stuff out, vessels out of the temple and Classic moving in. Israel. It, they're not, they're not giving as they should to the Levites. So the, the worship structure is falling apart. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he says, "Why is the house of God forsaken?" Right? <laughs> and and again and again, as he's going through these different, these different things, he keeps asking God to remember him. Like a few different times, he asks God, "Remember me. Remember my work on your behalf." Yeah, and the book ends with that statement. Yeah. yeah. He, and he sees they're not obeying the Sabbaths. So he gets really angry about that. He finds out they're marrying with the foreign nations. I mean, this is just a few decades after Ezra's reforms, and they're, and they're doing that stuff again. Um, and he says in ver- verse 26, 
Well, first of all, he he beats them, right? He he beats some of them, verse twenty five, <laughs> and pulled out their hair. That's <laughs> it's kind of like girl fighting, not to be sexist, but really pulling out their hair. I don't know. I don't know why he did that, but he's so angry and so passionate about God's law. And then verse twenty six, he reminds them of how this had ruined them before, right? Verse 26, did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women? Why are you intermarrying when Solomon failed this way? Yep. Well, uh, I think it's probably better to get your hair pulled out than to get consumed by God, so. Yes, yeah. that's true. Yeah. That's true. He's, so, trying to help, he's trying to help his people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Nehemiah has these different encounters at the end that show that all of Ezra's work, all of Nehemiah's work, it's... It's not taking, it's not, their hearts haven't been changed. Right. It hasn't taken root like they want it to. Right. And so he, he ends with sort of a desperate plea to, to God, remember me, oh God, for my good. Right. He's, he's tried, and yet, like so many leaders of Israel, he's frustrated by the lack of progress. Yep. There's, there's a problem that isn't fixed yet, right? Yeah. Which I you know, think leads us to how does the gospel fit into the story? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think this is, yeah, it sh- it, again, it shows us that tension. Ezra and Nehemiah shows us the tension, which is, is Israel just going to be the same as they were before? Right. And the answer is, to a certain degree, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're still the same. They still need a new covenant. Yep. Not just one that they say, we're going to go back to the old covenant to follow this, a but one. a new and better covenant. Yeah. And so that longing that's there is very important, and we shouldn't we shouldn't try to avoid that. We should, we should gravitate toward it to see, oh, the, Jesus Christ is going to fulfill... This tension, mm-hmm. that dis- dissatisfaction, points us to what Jesus Christ is going to do. Yeah, and I would say even on the topic of of walls, there is a lot of talk of of walls that separate people in the New Testament. Hmm. Um, that the the wall of Nehemiah maybe less so than the wall of Ezra. Yeah, but there's a there's a wall of separation between God and His people for right. one, and we see on the cross that Jesus removes that wall of separation. Right. Right, that would be the the curtain in the temple that Jesus yep. tore in two. That was torn in two after after Christ died. So we see that as a theme that God breaks down the barrier between us and God. Mm-hmm. But also in Ephesians two, that God breaks down the barrier between Jew and Gentile. Mm-hmm. So that's a big the, the the importance of that barrier is a huge theme in Ezra and Nehemiah. Right, because they're saying we don't want partnership from the people outside. We don't want marriages from people outside. They're being really careful about who they interact with. Right. And that's a good thing, as we said, but it points to the inability of the old covenant to bring the fullness of God's salvation. Yeah, it's a good good thing. It's not an ultimate thing, just like the temple is a good thing and it's pointing to what you know the need for humans and to God, but it's not the ultimate thing, right? Yeah. So. We even see in Nehemiah, I think it was in Nehemiah, that there's they they read the part of the law where it says you can't have Moabites or Ammonites in the mm-hmm. assembly. And so they were moving foreigners even from that assembly, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's a bad thing, but it's incomplete. Right. We the, can a Gentile come to, come to God? Mm-hmm. Can a Gentile be forgiven and restored? Mm-hmm. And we've seen hints of it through the whole Old Testament, but we don't see the fullness of it until we see Christ and His work. Right. That He, I'll read from from Ephesians chapter two, for He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, meaning Jew and Gentile and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So God's creating a new people from Jew and Gentile. 
He's bringing them together and saying, all people can worship me on the same terms, right? Right. free grace from God, and there can be reconciliation between people groups as well. Mm-hmm. So this is what God's God's work does through Jesus Christ. That mm-hmm. couldn't happen in Ezra and Nehemiah. Yeah, amen to that. Well, that's all we got for Daily Gospel today. Thanks for joining us. Next week, what are we going to hit? Esther, right? Book of Esther. It's going to be good. It's going to be awesome. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us.